to the Liberal Europe podcast, a European Liberal Forum project. I'm your host, Ricardo Silvestre. Today I'll be speaking with Danica Vinaham. Danica is the Secretary General of LIMAC, and we're going to talk about youth participation in politics and also the work done by LIMAC. And after that, I'll be mentioning some of the events organized by ELF for this month. All right, I'm here with Danica Vihem. Danica, thank you so much for coming to the podcast. Thank you, it's my pleasure. Okay, before we talk a little bit about LIMEC and youth participation in politics, I would like to you introduce yourself a little bit to our audience. So what kind of path you took to get to this position where you are right now? Oh, well, um, I guess you need to start um, quite a while back. Uh, when I was studying, I was studying political science at Obo Academy University in Finland. And um, during my my uh, time at the university, I got involved in the uh, student union and uh, wanted to run for, for the student union parliament uh, or council. And, uh, and I was looking into the different groupings that were uh, putting candidates uh, uh, putting up candidates in these elections, and um, I immediately fell for the liberal students. And, uh, well, let's just say that one thing led to another. I spent uh, quite a few years involved in, in student politics, and uh, but that's also how I got involved in uh, Svensk Ungdom, Swedish-speaking youth um, Finland, which is the youth organization of the Swedish People's Party in Finland. And... Uh, yeah, the rest is history in a way. I uh, I was uh, working for them. I was international officer uh, for Samskundum at some point. Uh, that's also how I got involved in the National Youth Council and its international committee. And um, and uh, also how I got involved in LIMEC, uh, where I was elected internal auditor in 2012, uh, followed by uh, a bureau position as treasurer of the organization in 2014 and finally in 2016 when um, the position as secretary general uh, was open I applied and got the job and uh, that's how I ended up here in Brussels. But let's go back a little more and that is how did your interest come up in political science? Was like a family thing? Was you just by yourself? Was peer pressure? What happened there? Um, it was literally good teachers. I got interested in, in the subject in high school. And uh, after high school, I did this one-year sort of college thing where uh, I, was, um, I was taking a lot of courses in different subjects uh, through open universities. And, uh, and I had a very good, uh, very good lecturer in political science and I just fell for it and knew that this is my this is my thing and uh, and then I continued uh, on to study that uh, until master's level and have a political uh, science master's now. Uh, you, you mentioned that you work in the uh, Ministry of Foreign Affairs for Finland so you do have already experience at that level. How was that for you? Um, it was like a lot of things in my uh, professional career, it was 
not a mistake, but it was not something planned either. Uh, I applied for uh, for a short-term contract because they needed a substitute for someone in the uh, Europe Information uh, Office in the um, Communications Department. And they needed someone who was bilingual because I'm, I speak both Swedish and Finnish and uh, who knew Europe. And I thought, well, this kind of like sounds tailor-made for me. Let's try this. And uh, I applied very last minute because I learned about the position very last minute. And I got an interview and apparently convinced them very well because I got the the short-term contract and uh, and several uh, uh, other contracts after that. So <clears throat> in total, I spent almost two years in the communications department and uh, it was very, very uh, educative. I learned a lot, not just about communications, but about uh, basically all the fields uh, of the foreign ministry since um, we were communicating. I was, uh, after Europe communications, I was in uh, current affairs, so basically sending press releases and uh, and uh, communicating on social media about everything that the ministry did. I would like to stay with you here a little more because you have something on your bio that I thought it was really interesting and I wanted to explore this idea with you. You say that we don't need more European Union but a better European Union. Can you elaborate a little bit on that? Well, um, it sort of goes in um, in line with, with, you know, the liberal idea of uh, maybe being a bit skeptical of big government and so on. So uh, what I mean by that is that we do not need the European Union or the institutions to intrude in every aspect of our lives, but rather we should look to which are the things that uh, in Europe where we really need to work together and, um, and where we really need the, the union, the institutions to uh, look out for us or help us or safeguard our uh, freedom and prosperity and uh, and focus on those things. All right, let's go a little bit to Alimec. As I mentioned in the beginning of the podcast, you're the Secretary General, 200,000 members, 47 organizations, 33 countries. So this is the big, big, big cake that you have to stir and mix every single day. How is that for you? It's probably the most interesting job I've ever had. Uh, it's really dynamic. It's no day is like the other. And it's challenging, but also very rewarding. And actually, um, I now realize we need to update our uh, numbers on our webpage because we actually have 60 uh, member organizations by now. Ooh, breaking news. Good. Yes, 60 <laughs> member organizations. And in... If I'm not mistaken, uh, 39 countries. So we do cover almost all of Europe. There are a few blank spots, but we're working on that. But yes, of course, uh, trying to put together 60 different views of uh, what being liberal means and uh, different cultural backgrounds, different political cultures, um, different views, different opinions. It's uh, it's a challenge, but it's also uh, 
really interesting and you learn a lot about how many different angles you can have to look at one and the same uh, issue. Well, it sounds by your voice that you're uh, already looking forward to get back to work. So let's continue. And that is uh, one of the missions in LIMAC is to create a liberal and a federal Europe. Uh, I imagine there's a lot of resistance and you just mentioned that those 60 organizations, they do have different ideas, different, different concepts, I'm sure, of how to approach this. Do you think that with newer generations, this concept meaning a federal Europe will be more and more easy to apply, more and more easy to discuss. What's your take on that? I think it doesn't really ma uh, matter which generation you're talking to. If you do not explain what federalism is, uh, people will uh, immediately think it only means that let's uh, centralize all powers to Brussels and uh, and take uh, strip away all the, all the powers and all the decision-making from the a regional level, local level, and member state level. And that's obviously not what it's about. So I think uh, with older generations, with younger generations, we need to be better at explaining what federalism is, uh, explaining all, like the whole concept, including subsidiarity, including uh, proportionality, and um, and explaining why uh why this would be a much more efficient way of, uh, of running Europe. And I think young people are per se more open to innovative or, well, it's not an innovation. It's, I mean, federalism has been around for, for more than uh, half a century, but, but still it's, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, it's, uh, it's still, I think young people are more open to, to looking at things from different angles and, and new ways of doing things than those who have been already in power for a few decades and might not want to change things because it's quite comfortable the way it is. That's a great point. But again, in that difference of way of seeing things and uh, the way of interacting with the world, especially with technology now, with proximity, with Erasmus, all that, is the generation gap uh, increasing or do you think that young people can also do that work of telling the older ones like myself explain it like very easily so this is what federalism mean do you see that happening from your experience yes definitely um i mean we have a a, a good um good number of of examples of uh pro-European, pan-European federalist organizations out there uh, that are either youth-led or uh, where young people are very dominant in the, in the structures. And uh, I mean, they're out there daily explaining federalism to, well, both to older and uh, also a younger audience. Uh, so, so definitely, I think, uh, I think there's uh, potential for for young people to, to even more be sort of the um, spokespersons of, uh, of this movement uh, and, uh, and getting more people on board by just explaining it very easily. So what can you say or what do you have to say to younger generations that actually are more enthralled, they're more uh, interested now in nationalism and uh, protectionism 
now it's another kind of gap, and that is the gap between people of the same age with different ideas. How can we reach those to those people? That's a very good question. I mean, for uh, for any nationalist um, who wants to, you know, close the borders and sort of like protect uh, protect people only of their own nationality or whatever, I would say there's like there's no better guarantor for for your country in Europe than the European Union. Uh, the Union is not going to take away anyone's uh, nationality or um, national pride or whatever, as long as it doesn't go to extremes, of course. But, uh, but I mean, the whole idea with Europe is to unite in diversity and having this mix of different cultures and all these different nations come together. It's... It's not on anyone's agenda to blend everything into one and the same. Of course, you can still be Finnish or be Polish or uh, be Portuguese and proud of that. Uh, no one is going to take that away. So this is something I would really want to try to to get this message through to these young people who somehow feel a bit of an existential crisis in this European project because... They do not see how everything that is familiar to them will uh, still be there in a decade or two. It is interesting how diversity could be scaring for young people. Um, I imagine for all the generations, yes, a lot of you know resistance, a lot of suspicion. But uh, I, I'm, I think it's a good path. I think we're in a good path and things will change rapidly because I do believe, like you just mentioned, that uh, the melting pot has been melting for some time now and especially younger generations uh, it's an easier way it's an easier way to accept an easier way to interact an easier way to uh, be involved so i'm i'm very hopeful uh, of that and again i would like to thank you and limec for doing that work let's keep let's stay on this topic because uh, in the european elections there were a lot of young people voting but a lot of them voted on more uh, environmental issues and particularly on some green uh, parties how do you an uh, how did you analyze those results well to be honest any other result would have been a shock to me personally we've seen this coming or we should have seen all of us this coming since uh, um, since the very quick rise to fame by Greta Thunberg, uh, this uh, Swedish teenager who went on school uh, uh, climate strike mm -hmm. from school. Uh, but especially since, uh, since the Fridays for Future and other climate marches and climate strikes uh, started uh, late last year, um, we've seen the young people in the streets because a lot of young people feel that they're this is the only way for them to get their voices heard by taking to the streets, mm -hmm. by trying to shake up the like established political uh, uh, society and, and the political uh, decision makers, uh, trying to shake them into awareness of uh, the fact that climate change is real and, and it's the most concerning thing, thing for young people. If we as political parties and as, uh, uh, as decision makers are not able to, to take 
to take this seriously and and try to to sort of like cater to the needs of these young people who really who really feel very very worried uh then uh, then of course there's movements and parties as the green ones that will get these votes and uh i mean a lot of politicians from uh, from other political families and established parties uh, besides the greens went out and said well i this is climate hysteria um you should be in school you should not be in the streets if you're that condescending to young people who are just trying to get their message through the only way they can imagine doing it then of course you're not going to get their votes and i think we i mean we can see the the uh drastic uh, decrease of votes for both uh, the social democrats uh, or socialists and and the uh, uh christian democrats so snd and epp in the parliament have both seen significant significant uh, reductions in the size of their uh groups Yes, that's a great point. Uh, that kind of, uh, again, uh, detachment from the ruling class and the older people to the younger ones saying, ah, you guys don't know what you're talking about. Go back to school. That is a bad way <laughs> to involve uh, the youth in politics. And I'm going to stay here a little more with you because then how can we make that connection? Meaning that you have all this uh, massive people worried about the environment and rightly so. How can we make the bridge to other liberal values and tell them, hey, here's a solution here, not only environment, but other things that can affect you? How, for example, Limec and yourself, you will you do that connect? Um, we do that on many levels. Uh, as a political youth organization, I keep saying we have like a twofold mission. First, uh, first of all, we're a youth organization, so we're here to educate and uh train and provide capacity building and involve uh, young people and make uh, um, uh, make sure that there are opportunities from young pe for young people from all over Europe to get together and uh, learn to know each other and exchange ideas. Uh, but that's obviously mainly just the young people who are already involved in uh, political youth organizations. And then the other, uh, uh, other part of our mission is basically to to also do politics and uh, try to um, try to reach out with our visions and our policies and push them uh, both to a wider public, but also towards uh, decision makers, especially on European level. And it's the towards the wider public part that really is where we can try to engage uh, uh, engage young people who are not yet involved in politics and also um, explain our ideas to them. And uh, we do this mainly nowadays through various campaigns on social media, but also a lot of uh, a lot of our like engaging with uh, with young people is also done simply by word to mouth. It's like someone participates in something we've done and shares that, tells about it uh, to their peers. It's a slow way of spreading a message, but it's quite efficient. And a very ancient one, <laughs> one, one should add. Yeah, also. Um, 
I'm going to linger here for one more minute because I want to have your take as a, a young person, as someone that is very interested in politics and liberal values. Because another thing that worries uh, the younger generations is jobs. Intelligence, artificial intelligence is here, robotics is here, uh, massive shifts of employment is here. How do you see it and how, what do you think could be some, some of the paths taken to, uh, at the minimum, make people you know, be positive and think that there will be a solution for this uh, massive uh, shift that is coming? Well, I think first and foremost, we need to stop with the scaremongering that some, uh, uh, some decision makers uh, and uh, even almost governments are doing. Uh, yes, there is a massive shift coming, but it's not like it's going to happen overnight and we're completely unprepared for that. We just need to take certain measures in order to counter this, uh, this shift, uh, namely uh, provide education. And also, uh, I'm not only talking about education in school, but we need to really shift the whole mindset uh, of our societies towards lifelong learning because it's just a fact. My generation will never have the same sort of uh, career paths that, that our uh, <clears throat> parents or their parents had. It's not like you, you study something, you go into a company uh, or an enterprise and uh, you get your first job there and then you kind of like climb the career ladder within that one company or at least within one uh, sort of sector uh, until you retire. First of all, in some of the European countries, it seems like it's unclear if my generation will ever be able to retire uh, because uh, the, the retirement mm -hmm. age is just like... Uh, getting higher and higher. And second of all, uh, the way our societies and, and everything works now, the labor market works, is you will not have one career. You will have a multitude of careers. And we just need to like, provide the means for people to um, educate themselves, re-educate themselves, and learn along the way. Because you're not, you're not done when you're, you graduate from university or or you've gotten your vocational training. That's not it anymore. You need to like constantly learn because everything is developing on such a high, uh, in, in such high speed. So we need, in order to keep up with that, we're just gonna need to learn to adapt and shift. And uh, as long as we can keep our heads cool and just like plan ahead rather than, you know, make these uh, worst case scenarios in the heads of people, I think we're gonna be fine. Cooler heads, cooler heads will prevail. Uh, the other good thing is the imagination and entrepreneurship of young people, because there are some studies that show that for this amount of jobs that are going to be lost with robotics, others will come because other solutions to other problems will appear that we don't we don't even see them now. And I think the younger generation is very flexible, and you guys will do very very well. Now, there is one more thing that I would like to talk to you about this, about politics and youth, and that is something that I care about a lot and has to do with security. So, again, differences in ages. Uh, how do you see migration? How do you see Europe accepting a lot of people that are not uh, at their core we have European values because they were not, they're not from here. They're from other places with other values. How do you see, again, this mix of particularly young generations and the way to the future? Well, 
I would say even even in the most um, uh, how should I say um, migration skeptical uh, societies to put it uh, diplomatically like for example in Hungary uh, in 2015 when we had uh, uh, very rapidly uh, a quite massive influx of, of migrants coming to Europe um, you could see people take to the streets and welcome these people and hand out water bottles or food or blankets or whatever and the majority of the people again welcoming these pe- these uh, newcomers to Europe were young people. We have so many uh, organizations like Refugees Welcome or uh, uh, other initiatives like this that are youth-led and mainly uh, run and uh, by young people. So I would say the young generation, yes, there are a few very loud voices uh, who are super anti-immigration and, uh, uh, and anti uh basically anti-everything except for status quo or preferably something imaginary from uh, 50 years ago. But, Make but America majority, great again. That's, exactly. that's, that's the first example that comes to my mind. Exactly. But, but I mean, the majority of, of young people are, are really like either quite indifferent uh, or very welcoming uh, towards... Uh, towards newcomers to Europe. And, uh, and then, of course, I mean, it's a two-way street. We, we're going to be welcoming. And uh, I'm not saying you need to, you know, completely leave your own culture behind and, and, like, just blend into our societies. But, I mean, there are certain European values that just anyone who wants to stay here needs to adhere to. I'm talking about personal freedoms. I'm talking about... Um, uh, uh, freedom of speech and uh, well, basically all all sorts of personal freedoms are the first ones that come to mind. Uh, and I mean, as you know, pray to whomever you want. Just uh, live by by the shared values, and we're all gonna be fine. All right, we're we're a- ending our conversation, but there is one thing that I really need to talk to you, and it's a pleasure to have you here, and that is. Being a female, being a female liberal, being a female in a youth uh, organization. What can we do to make this more prevalent, Danica? Do not make a fuss about it, I would say, <laughs> to begin with. I mean, I, 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 have the, I have the privilege of being from, you know, uh, from the Nordics, from, uh, from an organization that, I mean, Svensk uh, Ungdom is always there's like a joke in Lima, like, do, do you guys even have any men in your organization or is this some sort of sorority? <laughs> because we, it's just like, it's so normal to me that, you know, there's no glass ceilings. And, okay. uh, and then like, I just had that, uh, that outlook on life basically when I uh, became active in Lima as well. And I mean, I was in a bureau with a, a female president, vice president and treasurer which are basically the three uh, top people, so to speak, in the organization, the ones who get to sign the name and so on. So, uh, so yeah, there, I keep saying there's no glass ceilings in LIMAC, and I hope uh, this is something that we can uh, bring to our member organizations as well. And uh, as a matter of fact, uh, diversity on all levels, but also uh, including uh, gender equality is going to be one of the, uh, is going to be the topic of our 
Young Leaders Meeting, which is the uh, yearly annual uh, meeting of the presidents of our member organizations. So we're really going to discuss this with our membership as well. Like, what are we doing? Who are doing things right? Who need help? Uh, sharing of best practices and so on. But I would say, don't make such a fuss about it. And uh, like every time there is a young uh, young female person, you don't need to, you know, underline it 57 times. It's just like, okay, we have a female uh, representative of this and that organization. I mean, look at the uh, liberal group, new liberal group in, in the European Parliament now. There's so many young women elected, including Limex president. Uh, but there's also uh, two young women from, uh, from the Netherlands. There's uh, both of the uh, MEPs from uh, Momentum Hunger, uh, Hungary are uh, young women. There's um, uh, the Austrian Neos uh, MEP is a young woman. So, I mean, liberals are doing something right. Uh, I was talking to the Secretary General of the Young European Greens, and he was counting uh, young people elected. And I was like, well, we have quite a few young people elected, but I would like to point out our numbers of young female uh, MEPs in, in the other group. And, uh, you know, when you manage to impress a green person with uh, with gender equality or, or you know, um, female... Uh, um, politicians in power, then you know you're doing something right. All right, listeners, this is how a young person puts an old user like me in my proper place. <laughs> That's exactly what Danica just did. Actually, my congratulations to Sonia, because I do want to have Sonia on our podcast also for her to tell me again to not make a fuss about young women <laughs> in politics. So I'll be ready for that. So again, congratulations to her and congratulations to Limec also. All right, Danica, we're ending our conversation. Do you want to leave our listeners with one last message? Look at the bright side of things. I mean, we were talking about uh, a lot of the uh, societal shifts and uh, so-called problems out there. But I think as liberals, we need to just like analytically look at, um, look at the situation, but also not despair, but rather look at the bright side because we have the solutions uh, for how to to fix these uh, bumps in the road and uh, make sure we have an even better future for all of us. Perfect spot for us to end this conversation. Danica, I'm going to thank you so much for coming to the podcast. Thank you so much. It was my pleasure. I'm back, and even before we go into this week's ELF events, let me tell you that you can also follow us now on iTunes and Stitcher, and if you like this podcast, please consider giving us a five-star rating. This way, you can help us spread even more liberal values and ideas. Now, for some of the events organized by ELF during the next week, on the 22 and the 23 of June in Warsaw, Poland, there's going to be a day event and book of storytelling, emotional campaigns across Central and Eastern Europe. And then on the 24th in Brussels, Belgium, we have Elf Idea Accelerator. 
The L5D Accelerator is an experimental space for testing new solutions to European issues, from climate to migration to the future of work. For this very first edition, the European Liberal Forum is bringing newly elected MEPs and other stakeholders in Brussels, in a way to contact with some of the latest ideas from the ground across Europe. The team for 2019 is Europe in Transition. On the same day, the 24th, but in Vienna, Austria, we also have big data, algorithms and health data, ethical aspects when designing new healthcare policies. You can know more about these events by going to www.liberalforum.eu forward slash events. And this is all for this podcast, but I'll be back soon with more guests. Until then, let's keep making the world a better place. The Liberal Europe Podcast. It's organized by the European Liberal Forum with the support of Movimento Liberal Social in Portugal. This podcast is co-founded by the European Parliament, and the European Parliament is not responsible for the contents of this podcast or any use that may be made of it. The views expressed on this podcast do not necessarily reflect those of the European Parliament and or the European Liberal Forum. <laughs>